Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We're using the OSL Bible Reading Plan. If you want to join along, you can always check that out online and uh, on our app at Northwest Church. We'd love it if you would join us. One of our goals is to get the people of God into the Word of God every day of their life because we need God's Word. That's the point of why I'm doing this. Now, I know that you're listening to me, and I, I, I love this gathering place and this gathering point. But my goal as a result of this is that every Christian would be in the Word of God for themselves every day. And this is just a time of encouragement where as we look at the Word, we get to observe what God is saying through His Word. And maybe you'll glean some thoughts from me or even just how I observe the Bible and interpret the Bible. Maybe that would be uh, of encouragement to you. So that's the point of this. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the person outside right now that is just blowing those leaves, Lord, real hard, real loudly. Amen. <laughs> and we just pray, God, today that as we open your word together as your people, that you would bless us, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us obedient hearts to follow what you're saying, what, you, what you're doing, what you want us to do. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. And we believe, God, that you're using your word in our lives to transform us, to guide us, Lord, and to use us mightily. And we thank you for that today, God. I pray, Lord, for every person that's, that's participating today, Lord, would you give us what we need through the Holy Spirit, that we're, we're not just... Um, we're not just asking you for little things, Lord. We're asking you for big things. We pray, God, that you would help us to see the beauty of Jesus and the greatness of our God. So open our eyes that we might see and transform our lives, Lord, to be more and more like you. We thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. And go ahead and say amen wherever you are. Again, thanks for joining us. This is The Daily Word with Pastor Ben. I am the lead pastor of Northwest Church here in Federal Way, Washington. Also, I am the director of Ignite Global Ministries. If you're interested in checking us out, um, our website for Northwest Church is nwcfoursquare.org. And you can also go online at Ben Dixon. Uh, you can go online at bendixon.org as well if you're interested in checking any of that, uh, any of our resources out and following us and all of that. Great. Uh, at The Daily Word, every day we're looking at scriptures through our daily Bible reading. We're here Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. And so I'm thankful that you're joining us and, uh, and that anybody you know is able to be with us as well. And today we just happen to find ourselves in the book of Judges, and we're going to be studying Judges chapter 9. And as usual, I just want to give you a quick review. Yesterday we studied Judges chapter 7. We didn't get into Judges chapter 8, but I want to summarize that. We looked at Gideon rising up and breaking off the oppression of the Midianites and the Amalekites, and that was a powerful story. When you look at Judges chapter 8, we see in verse 22 that the people of Israel, they request as a result of Gideon's leadership that he become king over them. And Gideon says, I will not be your king and your ruler, and neither will my sons. And that we see actually is a prophetic proclamation, and that's a very interesting thing. But what he does say is he says, I want an earring of gold from each of you from the spoils of, 
of their victories. And so everybody gives him an earring of gold and he makes an ephod, which is like a priestly garment. He makes an ephod out of that. And the Bible specifically says that what he fashioned out of gold, an ephod, maybe he had well intentions, but that ephod became a snare to him and to his household because the people use that to worship other gods. And we'll see that actually later on in the story of Judges. But it does say in Judges chapter 8 that Israel experienced 40 years of peace after their victory. And we jump right into Judges chapter 9 and verse 1. And let's go ahead and read that together. And here's what it says. And Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, which is Gideon, went to Shechem and to his mother's relatives and spoke to them and to the whole clan of the household of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you, uh, that 70 men, all the sons of Zerubbabel, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Also remember that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf and in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. And they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our relative. They gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of baal Berith. Which, uh, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the son, uh, sons of Zerubbabel, 70 men on one stone. He killed all of his brothers. But Jotham, the youngest son of Zerubbabel, was left, for he hid himself. All the men of Shechem and all of Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. Now, when they told, now, I just want to park right there. You remember I told you that specifically in Judges chapter 8, Gideon said, I will not rule over you, neither will my sons. Remember that. That was like a prophetic proclamation. So here we see Abimelech has now been announced as king over the people or ruler or judge over the people. But just keep that in your mind. Verse 7, now, when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and called out, Thus he said to them, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and and go to wave over the trees? And then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees. Verse 14, finally, all the trees said, all the trees said to the bramble, you come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out of the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you have dealt in truth and integrity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt with Zerubbabel and his house and have dealt with him as he deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. But you have risen against my father's house today and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your relative. If then you have dealt in truth and integrity with Zerubbabel in his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo and let the fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham escaped and fled and went to Beer and remained there because Abimelech 
because of Abimelech, his brother, obviously he was scared. And this is like, this is like a really uh, interesting story. What we have is Abimelech. This is one of Gideon's sons. And he just decides one day, I want to be king. And he goes to Shechem and he convinces the men of Shechem that he's supposed to be king. So they take 70 pieces of silver out of their house of worship. This is Baal worship. So they're still worshiping Baal. And this is an interesting point. He hires 70 men, reckless fellows to follow him to which people would be intimidated and scared. And then he goes and kills all of his brothers. After he kills all of his brothers, there's nobody else left in that house except for Jotham who hid himself. And maybe he's, Abimelech's not aware of that at this point. And so he's saying, I'm the only one left at this point. He basically killed all the competition. In, in ancient civilizations, that's what people did. You see that actually in the Herods, the Caesars. You see that constantly throughout just history where people would kill off their anybody that they consider, considered competition or a rival. And so that's literally what Abimelech does right here. In verse 22, the nation of Israel was ruled over, it says, by Abimelech for three years but this brought only violence and disunity among the people. And then it specifically says in verse 23 that God sent uh, a spirit of ill will, an evil spirit to cause like a dissension between all of the people. And basically what happens as we go ahead and read here in verse 26 is there's another man who tries to rise up basically and he starts speaking out against Abimelech. Verse 26, now Gaul, the son of Ebed, came with his relatives and crossed over into Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their trust in him. Verse 27, they went out into the field and gathered the grapes of their vineyards and trod them and held a festival, and they went into the house of their God, and they ate and they drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaul, the son of Ebed, said, who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Zerubbabel? Is Zebul not his lieutenant? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why would we serve him? Would therefore that this were, uh, this people were under my authority? Then I would remove Abimelech, and he, said, uh, and he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Basically, somebody goes and tells Abimelech that Gaul said this, and so Abimelech brings out his army, and they set an ambush, and they wipe out this guy, and... They wipe out the entire city, um, the men of Shechem, when they come out the very next day. So here's what happens. Abimelech takes over as king. He kills his brothers. He reigns for three years. Somebody tries to speak out and rise up against him. Then he kills that person. And then he kills all the people of the city of Shechem, which, by the way, is what Jotham prophesied. He said that fire would consume all of the people who made him king in an illegitimate way. And so we just see, I mean, curse after curse after curse. And then at the end of the story, what we see is we see not only did Gaul get murdered, but we also see that Abimelech is murdered as well because a woman from the tower of Shechem throws a millstone and it just crushes him. And so basically everybody in the story dies. It's a terrible story. But I started thinking about what can we actually learn from this chapter as we read it and sort of summarize it. And there are three things that I want to bring out as, uh, I don't know if they're encouragements, but they're certainly lessons that we need to learn from reading a story like this. Because this really did happen. And maybe in a mitigated fashion, this still happens today. And maybe it will happen in our future. And we have to be very mindful of these things that we can learn as principles from what we read about in Scripture. And the first thing that I wrote 
as I read this, was our compromise can be a stumbling block to our children. In the backdrop of this entire story, I want you to remember when Gideon, we studied this yesterday, when Gideon uh, obeyed the Lord to rise up and become a judge to deliver the people of Israel out of, uh, out of under oppression to the Midianites and the Amalekites, what was the first thing that God asked him to do? The first thing God asked him to do was tear down the altar to Baal. That's what he asked him to do. And the people were angry with them because why? They worshiped another God. They worshiped a Canaanite God. And we talked about idolatry. We talked about how this is all about worship, worshiping Yahweh, putting God first. That's the first and the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. So this is really about worship. This is about God being king, right? And so what we see in the people of Israel as the backdrop of this story, they have 40 years of peace and they go back, or maybe they never stopped, worshiping Baal. And this is a stumbling block, not only for our lives, but it's a stumbling block for our children. This is what we would call generational sin or generational iniquity. It will follow us. What we do not deal with today will become normal for our kids. And if we're not serious about that, we need to be serious about that because it will bring all kinds of harm into the lives of our children. Our children need to see us deal with the compromises of our present day. They need to see us deal with the, the affections and the devotions that we have to other things. In this case, they're worshiping a Canaanite God. When they move into the promised land and the people of God continue to give themselves to the gods of their surroundings, to the gods of the other peoples, they're not the other people group. They are the people of the Lord. And one parallel that we could make is that we are not, we're in this world, John chapter 17, but we're not of this world. Holiness is so important. We share in God's holiness, right? So what we want to make sure that we're doing is that we're living in the world, but we're not worshiping the things of the world. We're not serving the things of the world. We may use the things in this world. We may understand the things in this world, but this is not our home. And when we give more of our time and our attention and our affection to the things of this world, they become gods to us. They become the voice of God to us and we worship them. And so that becomes the norm for our kids. And we have to make sure that we're taking inventory constantly and consistently in our own lives so that we ensure that what we lay out for our children is a better day and they can go farther than we've ever gone. They can serve God more than we've ever served him. Don't you want your kids to be radical followers of Jesus? I mean, this has got to be our vision for their lives. I feel like sometimes we have these little visions. Like, I want my kids to be good people. I want them to have a good education. I want them to have a place to live. I want them to basically have wealth, health, and prosperity. We may not say it like that, but that's kind of what we want. We're like proud of our kids when they do great in school, which, you know, we should be. But it's always about them achieving something. But what about them serving God? What about them seeing something in us that inspires what's in them? That, that our kids would rise up after us and serve God in a way that we would be most proud of. And so I guess the question that I have today is when we think about our legacy and when we think about our children, we think about inheritance. If you don't have children, just think about the people around you, the young people around you that look, could look up to you. Think about that. Maybe you don't have natural ch children, but we can have spiritual children and we can all have a spiritual impact and influence in the lives of young people. But what
lots of compromise that they're going to have to sift through and find their way? Or are they going to see clarity in our lives, focus in our lives, worshiping God and Him alone in our lives, to which will bring conviction into them for the rest of their days? Maybe they don't walk in our ways right away, but certainly they can and certainly they shall if it's what they see in us. And this is vital because honestly, if we leave behind compromise and capitulation for our kids and that's what they see in us, those are the stories that they're going to tell. That's the conflict that they're going to have in their hearts. And they're going to have to make choices because of the way that we live life. What we want to do is we want to clear the playing field, want to clear the compromise out of our lives, want to clear the bales and the asterisks and all the gods of this world and make sure that we are serving God and God's interests so that our kids can rise up after us in Jesus' name. Amen. The second thing that I see in this passage or this chapter really is selfish ambition will always lead us or always betray us. Selfish ambition will always betray us. I want to read to you a passage in the book of James. This is what I was reminded of, chapter uh, 3 and verse uh, 13. This is what James says, "'Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, and listen to this, selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth.'" In other words, if it's there, expose it, bring it out, deal with it. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. This this is what he says. He says, selfish ambition and jealousy, where that exists, there's disorder in every evil thing. It causes things in our lives and in the lives of people around us that we would never predict. We would swear up and down. I would never do that. But when we let selfish ambition, self-preservation, self-first mentality, when we let that grip us, it will cause us to say things. It will cause us to do things that are just not fitting to the people of God. It doesn't look like who we're supposed to be and it doesn't sound like who we're supposed to be. We also read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, which by the way, we studied a couple weeks ago, where the Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Why? Because it will literally bring us down a road of destruction. And as we just talked about, not only for us, but also for everyone around us that is watching our lives. The Bible speaks to putting God first again and again and again. Matthew 6.33 comes to mind, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. That would be a word for us today. Putting God first. If we put God first, we then will put others before ourselves. What happens to us when we put ourselves first? is our mind starts to get warped. We start to actually filter this book. We start to read this book in a way that is not proper. It's not the way that it was meant to be studied and understood and interpreted. This book shows us God. This book shows us the world. This book book shows us to put others first. When we do that, God takes care of us. When we seek the, the pleasure and and the will of God, God takes care of everything that we would possibly need. He really does. He takes care of us. 
He gives us what we need in our hearts. And let me just say to you today that the temptation for selfish ambition is always coming to us. And you and I cannot act like that's not true, but it looks different in each one of us, doesn't it? Selfish ambition for you would look different than it does for me. And that's really the thing is what caters to me, what tempts me, what tempts you is going to feel or look just a little bit different. But we've got to be mindful of what putting self first actually looks like. Are you aware? Am I aware of what it looks like for me to put myself first? Do I know my temptations? Am I aware of what it is that that tries to grip my heart into this path where I'm always the first, where I'm always first in my world? Am I aware of those things? See, if we're not, we need to ask the Lord, show me where my temptations are to put myself first. For some of us, this could look like self-preservation. It could look like we, we have to like save ourselves, right? Instead of putting God first and courageously following him where he's leading us and what he wants us to do. And what we've learned from these scriptures as we've been studying them is we cannot just go by our own mindset. The Holy Spirit will lead us to do things that we would never come up with on our own. And everybody around us is going to say, this is what you need to do, and that's what you need to do. In the midst of that, we need to be a prophetic witness of what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And that's not always popular. We like formulas. We like regulations. We like going with the consensus. We like being an echo of the crowd. But the reality is, is being a prophetic witness is actually tough because God knows how to get to the final destination. We think we do right? And so we, by our own self-preservation, will lead a certain way. We'll do a certain thing. We'll say a certain thing. And a lot of that comes out of our fear. A lot of that speaks out of our fear. We'll be preaching against fear on one hand, but then leading by the voice of self-preservation on the other, which by the way, is just an indirect way of leading out of our fear. And we'll do that instead of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and going down the road that he calls us to, doing what he tells us to. Selfish ambition is going to betray us. It always will. It will always leave us high and dry. It will always lead us down a path of, of destruction. And it is not what we want. The third thing that I see from this passage is leadership without anointing will bring harm and great pain. Leadership without anointing. What do I mean by this? In this story, what we see is we see Abimelech take leadership and he was willing to do anything to get it. Now, maybe this story seems far removed from us because we're not going to go kill 70 of our brothers and whatever. But the fact is, maybe we will, you know, what they call is a character assassination. Maybe we will start to bring low other people who are in positions of leadership. Or maybe we will start to try to convince people that we are leaders, that we should lead because we are right. That's what happens. I, I wrote down some thoughts, right? So like when you have a we see another person who's Gaul, I think is how you say his name, the son of Ebed. He starts to raise up his head in the same way. I'm the one that should be in charge. Um, Abimelech shouldn't be in charge. You know, they both end up dead. But they both want to be in charge. Both of them are not called leaders at this time. They both think they are right. They both think they're going to do a better job. But that's not the campaign that any of us can have. If we ever desire leadership, as it says, I believe, in 1 Timothy, to desire to be an overseer is a good thing. To desire to be a leader is a good thing. But God has to anoint that. God has to anoint that because leadership is not about being right. It's not about being more right than the other person. Being in leadership is not about self. It's actually about the people. It's about us leading in the way that God calls us to 
on behalf of the welfare of the people. And we might think in our head like, oh, I know what's best for people. But if you're not sitting in that seat and God's not anointed you for that, we will destroy people's lives. We will hurt people because it will be about us. It will be about us being right. It will be about us doing a better job. And when that's where we start our leadership, there's nothing godly about that. I have for years watched people aspire to places of leadership where God has not anointed them, and I have literally watched them lead people astray. And that's the thing, is self-deception is obviously the most deceiving thing that we, that, that's, it's, that we can be a part of. When you're deceived, when you're self-deceived, it's not like you're deceived by somebody else's teaching or thoughts or following someone else. You're deceived by your own self. That's actually the strongest form of deception. And it's hard to see that that's the way that it is, especially when you think you're right, especially when we think we're right, like I should be in charge. It's easy to say that. It's easy to think we know what should be done without having to sit in those seats of leadership. And something I've learned in, in my limited leadership roles is that when you sit in those seats, the wind blows differently at every seat. And I'm talking about the wind of adversity, the wind of oppression, the wind the, the adverse winds, the, the enemy's attack, the, all of that, it blows differently. That, the power of that blows differently at different seats. And we have to be aware of that, that we can't just have the opinions of what we would do in someone's seat if we don't have the burden that they carry and we're not thinking about all the things that they think about. When you have to take into consideration, like a father or a mother, you have to think about all your kids. When you do that, you mitigate things. You, you make decisions that's best for everybody, but not just solely for one or two. You have to think about everybody. You have to think the end goal. This is where we're going. This is how we get there. And you have to lead everybody to that place. But as godly leaders, we have to think first about how the Lord calls us to, to follow him, especially as we take on that mantle of leadership. And what you see from the Bible again and again is that people who do this without anointing always harm others. No matter how much they're, they think they're right, no matter how much they think that they could do a better job, they always harm others when they take positions of leadership without God leading them to it. And so here's what we know, is that selfish ambition will lead us to a place to think that we can do better jobs, and so we refuse and we resist those that God has anointed and goes, and I'm not saying we treat those people as God. We certainly don't do that. But we understand that there's something on their life. And we recognize it and we listen for it. And I've, I've always felt this way. I do not believe, like my role as a pastor, that everybody, I'm not Jesus to people, right? My job is to be responsible for the overall welfare of the people and facilitating the callings and the ministries and the gifting so that we can advance the kingdom of God together. It, it's, it's to walk humbly and to serve uh, to serve the body and to ensure that we all together are moving in unity for God's purposes and for God's kingdom. Now there's a fight and many, many of our congregation as, as we're in this 10 months together, um, they come alongside and we're moving together, but there are a lot of battles that we face in order to keep the main thing, the main thing. But here's the deal. I have watched people for years try to take places of leadership and I've seen how it just harms. It just harms people and it harms them. And at the end of Judges chapter 9, what we see, everybody dies. <laughs> everybody dies. The people in the city of Shechem who make them king, um, we see all of Gideon's sons die, Abimelech dies, Gal dies, they all die. Why? Because none of this is led by the Lord. None of this was God's plan. It was all the plans of man. And all the plans of man 
failed, every one of them. And so what we're reminded of by this is we want to follow the Lord. We want the Lord's plans. We want the Lord's ways. We want the Lord's anointing. And we have to ensure and we have to walk in the fear of God, knowing that it's got to be the way that God, not just what God wants, but the way that God wants to bring it about. If we take it upon our shoulders and try to force it to happen and make it happen, it could end in destruction. Because God doesn't just know what needs to happen. He also knows how it needs to happen. And that, to me, is a word to all of us. It's a word to me. It's a word to us, especially in these times. Can I just close by saying there's a tension in the middle of this pandemic? There's a tension for us as those of us that are Americans. There's a tension for those of us that are Christians. Um, I have frustrations. I have thoughts. I have ideas. Um, I'm a pastor. I'm not a government official. And so sometimes I know this is a little bit of a jump from where we're at today in the book of Judges, but it's something that's been on my heart and my mind. I constantly am thinking about what does it mean to have dual citizenship? That on one hand, I'm a kingdom of the citizen, or I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which is first and primary. So I'm a Christian first, but I'm a citizen of America and I have rights and privileges and it's an honor to be an American. Obviously people have paid for our freedom with their lives. And so how do you honor both, but also honor God's ways and word first? Because we don't know what holds our tomorrow or what's in our tomorrow. We only know that today it's about his kingdom and he is king over our lives. You know, that's, there's a tension in that today. And we live under a government that is ever-changing, right? So we have our history. We have where we've come from and what that's meant. And now where we are today and what it's looking like. And so we have to hold that tension and we want to just you know take over i mean i'll be honest with you we want to just tell everybody what they need to do and so we have to follow god's plan for that because whatever god has destined for america whatever god has destined for the nations of the world we have to ensure that if our role is to play a part of that that we're doing it his way and that's going to require us hearing from the holy spirit and we cannot afford pride we cannot afford a pride of saying, this is how it needs to be done. What we see in the Bible is people trying to take places of leadership, people in their own minds, in their own attitudes, in their own hearts saying, this is what we need to do. And when we start going down that road, we cut off the voice of the Holy Spirit and it becomes a voice of fear in our lives. And so here's the thing. We might even be right. We might even be right. Sometimes there are things that I think need to happen, and I think they're right, but I don't know how they need to be applied. And I think one of the difficulties right now is how do we apply what we feel? Well, this is where we start, and we might need to stay here a lot longer than we're comfortable. We have to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Knowing what may need to happen is not always enough. We have to make sure that we're following the voice of the Holy Spirit because God doesn't just know what needs to happen. He knows how it needs to happen and who needs to lead those efforts and what it's going to take in order to get to the destination. Just like us as parents, how we're leading and how do we come behind the church in this time? How do we rally unity? How do we rally God's kingdom ways and words and purposes? Well, I think we're going to have to follow very closely in these days the voice of the Holy Spirit more than ever before. Aren't you glad that I taught on hearing God for nine sessions? So wasn't that great? I'm <laughs> just having fun with you today. But anyways, listen, uh, we're, we're we, we've got to be done here. 8.32, I wanted to take you 30 minutes here at the Daily Word. 
But we're going to be here every day, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. at The Daily Word. God bless you. I'm so grateful that you would join me. All we're trying to do is walk in the Word and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to live out what His Word says. And may we learn from the history that we read about in this book so that we, don't, number one, don't make the same mistakes, but number two, that we ensure that we are following God's Word in the days in which we're living. That's what this is all about. It's about Him and His purposes in our generation. So let's pray as we close. Um, And I look forward to seeing you hopefully tonight online for our Ignite Gathering at 7 p.m. on the Northwest Church Facebook page or the Northwest Church website, nwcfoursquare.org. That's where you can see our live stream. But Father, we do thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, that these are written down for our instruction for whom the ends of the ages have come. And although Judges chapter nine is a very dark story, of what can happen when we when men seek to take places of leadership and do what they want. We realize, Lord, that maybe that isn't something we've done, but maybe in small ways we've done it. Maybe we're always maybe we can be seeking through selfish ambition to be right and to impose our agendas or lead out of our fear and self-preservation. But Lord, we just read this story today and we ask for a greater fear of God in our lives that we want to follow you. And we want to ensure that that's what's happening in our lives, that your first and your word and your will and your ways are first. We don't want to bring harm to others, and we don't want to put ourselves first. Selfish ambition will betray us. So would you root out any selfish ambition, and would you lead us by your Holy Spirit so that we are constantly advocating for the kingdom of God in our day? Father, we thank you today that that you are leading us and that we get to be a part of your church and your purposes in our generation. And we ask that you would keep our hands at the plow and not to move to the right or to the left. And and let us hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I pray that everybody that's tuned in right now would be able to hear your spirit more clearly. Day by day, give us more and more discernment. And I pray God again for an uncommon unity, such an unusual unity that as we come together, we pray together, we seek the welfare of the city together to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for a renewed tenacity, that as we experience an overwhelming work of revival, that we would be so tenacious to get the gospel to people's lives like never before. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.